Check, 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 check. One, two, three. Check, 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 check. One, two, three. All right, how about that? Sweet. Hey, everyone. My name is Jared Hogan. And I'm Christian Schultz. And this is good. Well, hello, Dallas. Will you say hello to to everybody that has been long awaiting your interview? <laughs> hello, everybody on the Good Period podcast fan base. Yes. <laughs> so the and the important question is, what the heck do you do? Uh, a lot of things. Uh, I feel like lately, since I've been doing this for a while and actually have a business, I feel like I'm doing tons of businessy stuff. But at heart, I'm a sound designer, and I lead a team of sound designers uh, that focus on all kinds of stuff. Video games, video game trailers, um, TV shows, promos, documentaries, yeah, all kinds of stuff. So we're a, uh, I lead a sound design team that makes all of that stuff sound really cool. But the one thing we don't do is music, which is a whole other thing. Right. Well, tell me, like, what was the like first time that you remember even like knowing what sound design was. Because I, I can tell you when my first time was, which is like two years ago, because <laughs> I had no idea that it existed. But it's like, if you look at every single, and that may sound me, make me sound like a little bit, you know, stupid or something, but like, it's just something that you don't even pay attention to, which I think is the the qualities of good sound design. As with anything. Yeah. But like, when was the first time that you actually kind of found this? Uh, so whenever I was a kid, I spent most of my time, uh, throughout school being good at the trumpet. And that was really the only thing I was really good at and, um, performed a lot and then went to school to play the trumpet. Uh, in, uh, college, I was at the top of all the ensembles and stuff playing. And then, uh, while I was in college, I really, really got into, uh, conducting and, um, it's something that I was a path that I was going to go down and, um, was really passionate about it, and I just love the idea of like kind of like interpreting a ton of different sounds and and with a with a group of people and kind of building yeah. these, these things. So, um, whenever at the end of my schooling, I struggled with some really bad p- performance anxiety that kind of like threw me out of the entire game. Huh. Uh, it's something that I, I loved playing the trumpet, but it was also something that kind of caused just tons and tons of anxiety. Right, and so it came a time in my life where I was like, I want to enjoy music for what it is and enjoy sound for what it is. So. Um, after I, I kind of discovered recording and tech stuff, and I was always into MIDI and I was like composing stuff, but then discovered recording and went into that world like a lot of sound designers do, uh, and really didn't like the culture of it all that much. But during that process of of recording school, I found this little niche here of this thing where it's like, oh, cool, you can like, you know, it's fascinating that you can recreate sounds in movies and TV shows and and stuff. And none of that stuff that you hear is real. And half the time, even stuff that you see people's lips moving, like that's not even real half the time, especially outside. Yeah. Uh, So I just kind of fell in love with that whole, it's like the secret little club. So it's like anybody who goes into recording you know, out of a hundred percent of people, it's like ninety-eight percent of them go into into like recording or audio tech stuff to record music, and then like two percent of those people kind of find this secret uh, location. <laughs> you know, the secret little little area where there's like you can do TV and film and stuff like right, that. Right. So it's this kind of wide open world that I felt like 
it just one it's difficult to like get like super hot like really thoughtful people into that nook and um it, it just seems like it's one of those things that's just like so off the grid uh, right. but so powerful that i was just fascinated with it and i and i felt like i excelled with it in it really quickly well kind of break that down a little bit more i guess like what about it specifically other than the idea of like you know the fascination with it but what do you think separated you from excelling at maybe just being a, uh, an engineer or a producer or something and then excelling at this? <laughs> well, one, I mean, interestingly, um, one of the things was early on in my marriage, my wife was like, you know, you have to actually like make a living doing this thing. <laughs> and it was classic at a time. Wife. Yeah, classic wife. <laughs> uh, so, but that was really great advice because it, it's one of those things like, yeah, I would love to just be in the recording studio, right. recording drums, recording guitars, doing the thing, like just hanging out with the with the, the folks and like creating music because I love music. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's something that uh, the recording industry. I mean, this is like it's not even it, we're so far past the point of that that whole world kind of collapsing in on itself that it's almost cliche to say like, oh, the recording industry is in decline. Well, it's like way way past that point at this right. point. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh yeah, making a living uh, was was an important thing, uh, and it also just took a, a lot of skill and, and experience. Uh, I didn't get directly into post audio immediately. Uh, like anything, I had to take a very jagged, unique path to get yeah. there. And at the time, uh, I was uh, in Dallas uh, purely for ironic, irony's sake, uh, and uh, finished up my schooling. And um, the only real opportunity that I had that I had to actually make a little bit of money was uh, I started an internship at just an NBC station there on camera on in the camera department, and so I was just like doing camera stuff for the local news. And um, you know, there's I knew that there was audio there; there had to be. So I uh, it was just this really weird foot in the door to to get into an environment where I knew like audio was an important part of it. And so of course, like as soon as I got there. Uh, thankfully there was an audio person there that took me under his wing and just was a fantastic person, taught me everything about this audio board and the skill that was required. And it's not just something you can just sit down and do for live television. So I was really lucky to get a lot of, um, training in that. And then a lot of people there gave me uh, or had faith in me to like, let me do like live shows, um, which was terrifying, but it, uh, really kind of shaped, a lot of the way that I even do things now, where there you're doing a lot of prep, 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 thinking about it, making like think of every single thing that could go wrong, yeah. how everything has to fit together, uh, and then you do everything live, and hopefully you do everything live flawlessly. Right. Uh, so that was kind of my first way into sound uh, through this weird path, uh, and then that led me to getting a full time or full time ish job at uh, Telemundo of all places because Telemundo was owned by NBC. I don't speak any Spanish at all, but I was doing live Telemundo like shows for entertainment stuff and sports and and news, and it's it's crazy. But then that kind of led uh, to uh, L.A. It was like up at the time I was like, you know, we just my wife and I agreed, you know, it's, we're, if we're going to really make a living doing this, we got to go somewhere where there's a, a multitude of work. And so we moved out there. Luckily, Telemundo also brought me on. Uh, same deal there. Then it eventually kind of led to another job at Fox uh, on one of their lots doing um, big shows for the, the LA local market. And, um, and just incredibly talented people. And I, I loved the environment of just everyone being like working a problem. It was almost more like NASA engineers in the way that you thought than kind of a recording 
studio me- mentality yeah. of where everything's very, you know, it's like it's creative, but it's like in a t- it's just a totally different like universe. Hmm. So I love just that like perf- like it's just so professional and just like everyone's just at the top of their game of thought process everything. And so um, I met somebody there who just put in a good word for me at this place, uh, uh, G4, this television network, which I adored at the time, G4, but it doesn't no longer exist. Yeah. Sad story that that doesn't exist, but um, loved it and got into post over there, which was uh, an incredible experience, uh, although it was a bit of a sweatshop. Uh, they were really hustling to, to make that network something great. And, um, and I feel like it was at the time, but uh, that's like the first jump into like post audio and sound design for promos and shows and right, uh, right. cartoons and all kinds of stuff. So that's like my first moment into it. And that's where it's like, I really learned the grand scheme of like, uh, of, of range of what could be done. So it took me a while to kind of even get to the point where I could even, um, understand why I was getting into that. It wasn't something like I had a revelation early on and I was like, I knew I wanted to do sound design and post, but like I felt like I didn't really even come to like a real understanding of it for years until I kind of got in it. Obviously sound design is an extra thing at this point. You know, it's always like, you know, I make a film, I need to send it to a colorist, I need to send it to, you know, a mixer, I need to send it to either mix and sound, you know, like there's different just team players that would go to, but like if I don't have the ability to do that and I need to do sound design or I need to, you know what I mean? I need to do that on my level Yeah. or maybe it's a a small budget thing or whatever. How do I begin to approach uh, this sound design uh, aspect of it? I think before you answer that, I think what I have discovered was like, um, when I didn't have the ability to get something sound designed, <laughs> yeah. it was just like a a massive like. There's like no other um, th- like thing that you could get for your film. There's like no lenses that you can get or what camera you can get that's going to outweigh the uh, power that sound design has. And until you actually like experience that, you really don't know, right? So it's yeah. like. Uh, like I guess I'm, what I'm looking for is like how do I experience that on my own and and the way that I approach doing sound design myself, you know? So like, kind of give me a, an example. Yeah. To answer your question, it it goes back to just simply thinking about it. Um, I I've been talking recently about like emotional charting, like like sound charting in a film. Like if you have like maybe a two minute or a twenty minute piece, even if you're like drawing a line on a piece of graph paper, like where are your emotional peaks and valleys? Like what do you want that, that whole feeling to look like? Early on, the tendency is just to make it like a line just go straight up at one second in and stay up and then just like push further at the very end and stay up. But really like great films and great projects have this like ebb and flow naturally yeah. uh, where, it, where you know, it's there's not like constant emotionally, emotional uh, you know, number 10 going on constantly. Because if you have, if everything is, is at an emotional 10, like you're, you might as well be in an emotional zero or an emotional one because you have no like dynamic range in your emotions. And while music, uh, you know, plays a massive role on kind of like on emotional dynamics, I would argue that even just removing it in places that it's not needed doesn't tip people off to where it's going. Sure. If you don't give anybody a, an emotional cue or a cello to tell them what mm-hmm. they need to be thinking, mm-hmm. sometimes like that is so powerful in and of itself. Like just 
seeing, hearing nature, hearing the, hearing what's going on. Um, now that takes it from, you know, your one world perspective and my one world perspective. Like I have a background probably similar to yours where it's like we, we watch things relatively sim- uh, similarly, but someone with a completely different worldview, completely different background right. might be able to extrapolate imp- like emotions from things whenever they're not being told what to, what to think the whole time. So it can be kind of exhausting. I have a pretty good experience with that, even just recently where there was this, um, it was towards the end of the film and like the kind of emotional climax, if you will, of, um, and it was, it was like a short doc and I put music under there because I wanted it to, it's like several different things. You want it to like, um, maybe your audio wasn't as good. So you need to cover a little bit where you didn't have that sounds or something. So you, you feel like you need to cover the interview because you didn't get in that sound or the room tone or whatever. And then, so you have music there for, but more so, it's like because you're wanting to add an emotional cue, like you just said. So I like added it in there, and it was fine. It was just like everything I, everything else that you'd probably see. Um, but then I kind of moved on and like came back a week later and continued editing it. And I just like turned it off just to see what it would feel like. And it yep. it was weird how it had made it um, exponentially more emotional than the music could portray. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and it I, didn't yeah, it, totally. it didn't have any sound design. It didn't have it wasn't even mixed. But um I think that's super interesting. Like do you have um do you when you're doing sound design, do you have any kind of room to play with that side of things or like um even just like your idea of the lack of sound design or the lack of music or the lack of something yeah. adding to well, something? Well, I was this was something that I didn't naturally like come to this conclusion or say that this is the way it should be or the way it shouldn't be. But uh, the experience that I had that really kind of like threw me for a loop and totally changed the way that I thought about pacing and and things was whenever we were working on, I was in the final mix of a documentary, uh, I guess it was three years ago, uh, called Blood Brother. It was um, directed by Steve Hoover. Uh, it won Sundance at, uh, on, for the Audience Award and the Grand Jury. So incredible film. Um, but rewind way before that, before we even know to have anything to do with Sundance or have any sort of impact. Um, even whenever I, I screened the film and it's rough cut, it was something that was incredibly emotionally to, emotional to me. We spent, I don't know, six weeks, two months on it. But anyway, we get to the final mix. You know, this is us spending months on it. I'm sitting in the room with Steve, the director, and we're we're basically just we're in the the final stretch here. We've we've listened to it multiple times, like we're in a really good place, and um, we get to kind of these sections. And I don't really know what Steve's thinking, but we're kind of going through it. And he's like, um, "Can you do me a favor? Just uh, turn off the music in this whole scene, and let's rewatch it." And uh, you know, again, this is after <laughs> years and years of working on it for them, right. and and all this stuff. And, and I think this is like second to the last day. And then, um, you know, we, I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'm sure he wants to hear some Nat sounds, maybe things to like what we can boost, what we can pull away, all that stuff. So we roll back and we play it, you know, play through it. And he was like, okay, cool. And then, uh, and I was like, okay, cool. What? I mean, what do you want to do here? It's like, you know, do you want to boost some of He's like, oh no, no, we'll just, we'll just cut that music all together. And I was like, whoa, like <laughs> that doesn't happen. You Big know, it's moves, like, man. Big moves. yeah. And the final thing, and, and really it's like, I know that now it seems really obvious. It's like whenever you're in a cocoon of a scene by scene by scene by scene, of course you're trying to like make that one scene great. 
Uh, but whenever you start to string them together, you start to like lose uh, a whole cohesive uh, ebb and flow right. of a piece. And so we did that multiple times throughout the piece. And it really was without regard to any politics or which composer was on this or who was this. And he was like, yeah, I mean, the composer will be disappointed that we cut this, but it's really the best thing for the story. Uh, another thing that I learned on that is um, he, you know, on the flip side, on the sound design side, there were a lot of really, really emotional moments in there, uh, you know, th- children passing away and just horrible stuff. And so naturally, we would, even on the sound design front, do things to tell you what to feel. And, uh, and you know, it was another thing that we just like cut, 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 cut. It's like, we don't, we don't, he just did it. He just had this great aesthetic for not being hypersensitive to, to overly telling people how to feel because he wants everybody to feel how they're supposed to feel. And I also believe that that had a huge impact on, uh, you know, a film festival audience, which is incredibly diverse, uh, you know, the multiple film festivals, all of the accolades that happen with it right. is that it just gave everybody from so many different backgrounds, like their own personal film. So everybody heard that and felt that and, and experienced that in a slightly different way. And even whenever I've watched it, I've watched it, uh, I mean, hundreds of times, I still like get emotional about different parts of it because there's not, there's a lot of places where it's just like, it's not like telling me exactly like, oh, here's the specific emotion. Now there are times, and even the music is kind of nondescript uh, in throughout. Uh, there are some emotional things, but even it's like, he's just so sensitive to that. And so whenever he did the second film, which is called Almost Holy, and I think it's going to hit theaters like next month, uh, sometime in May, uh, same deal. Like we're in, in this case, we're working with like Atticus Ross, one of the best composers, right. like the hottest, you know, stuff out there. And it was pretty wild to like also be in the final mix. And he's like, you know what? Let's pull some of this back a little bit. And I'm like, wait a second, this is Atticus Ross. Like, this is some <laughs> killer stuff, and it sounds beautiful. And it's like, but it's not really about that, you know. Um, the soundtrack sounds incredible, and it's like all that. But then there were times, even uh, I don't, I mean, once or twice, where again we're in the final mix, and he's like, cut the whole track. And I'm like, you don't do that. Yeah. Not with like a Hollywood composer internally, but I'm like, okay, cool. And then <laughs> what we've done, and I still haven't even talked about the sound design aspect of that, but we've treated every single uh, microsecond of this film as if it can play without music. Um, and that's something you just don't hear until we're done with something. So you don't get the tools to play with to really experience it like that because uh, whenever whenever you're editing and you if you relegate sound design to this very last thing all the time, uh, it's very, very scary to rely on it. And so we've started to kind of see what we do creep earlier and earlier. And with their group, um, they do they have this place called Animal in Pittsburgh, uh, really creative place, but they also do a lot of commercial work. And we're seeing uh, moments where we may get a sh- like they'll go shoot a spot that's supposed to be thirty seconds. They might you know compile it one day, two and a half minutes or something, and then send it to us um, to pre sound design, like a two and a half minute mm-hmm. long. Um, like string out of the things that they know that they want to use to where then the editor who is the real like heartbeat of pace and, and you know, how things are going to ebb and flow emotionally. Like that gives the tools to the editor. That's that's so needed. Right. Uh, So that's just incredibly valuable. Now, not to say that you have to flip over to sound design. Now, of course, they're a very busy commercial studio. And of course, whenever there's, you know, they're trying to get through a lot of things, then it's great just to shoot it over to the trusted sound designers, get preliminary sound design, come back and edit. Now, if, that, if you're not in that case, which a lot of people aren't in that, then there's a ton of stuff that you can do. Um, there are uh, fantastic sound effects on tons of different websites that you can find. I mean, even if you just found like royalty-free sound effects or Googled that, you're going to see just tons and tons of that. And even things at really, really low costs. Uh, it's a really inexpensive thing. But there's nothing wrong with a, with a director or an editor or anybody 
throwing these tracks in there and seeing what feels right. I love like more than anything to get a project that has like a good bit of sound design in it because it's like telling us, oh, okay, I get like they're, they're trying to like utilize this feeling in the sound design and we can take that and we can go, okay, I see where they're going. You know, we may replace things, we might not, but like there's no, there's no reason that you need permission to do so. Like just dive right in. Like there's no, like the tools are so out there that it's like there's no, no reason to not just grab them and start throwing them in projects and then and sound designing yourself. Right. And um, yeah, so there's been like this kind of like divide. It's like you don't touch sound design. Sound designers touch sound design. It's like, no, <laughs> I don't want that at all. Like touch sound design, do stuff because then that just makes the entire thing better. Yeah. I want to talk about something um, that we've talked about before, just personally. Um, but can you tell me your kind of philosophy or um, ideas about doing free work? Yeah. Um, me, uh, to explain that, I guess, would be doing something for a passion project, doing something just ultimately at, you know, for free, like not charging anything because you want to be a part of a project. Yeah. Uh, this has been a, a constant progression in my career. Uh, so de facto, it's been around for, th- for six and a half years now. And now we have uh, six people on staff. Uh, we're making an offer to a seventh. And things are moving pretty quickly at this point. And so right now, whenever I evaluate whether or not to do a free project or not, it's a completely different evaluation. And it's a much more practical evaluation than it was whenever I started the business. So the way that I look at it is if we have time, and we're really, uh, and, and there's just exceptional work that comes across our desk. Uh, like if something kind of falls out of the sky, and this still will happen to this day, and it happens often. We, we're not able to do it as nearly as often as we, we used to. But it's like whenever you see just insane talent just show up, it's really hard for me to go, oh, no, we can't do that. And unfortunately, we've done that like for I mean, three, even in the past year, there's been like three or four, four projects that like everyone knows about that were passion projects that we had to uh, very politely say, oh, we just can't get it on the schedule, which is yeah. crushing. I mean, things that have hit hundreds of thousands of views on Vimeo and things like that. And, um, and you know, it just, it crushes me not to be able to take those things on. But just for as many of those, there's the other side of like, oh, hey, we're actually in a really, it's really quiet right now. And if we have, you know, multiple weeks, we might be able to work something out. And of course, it just has to be fantastic. Yeah. Now, rewinding, back whenever <laughs> I was starting the business and whenever I was freelancing and whenever, whenever I was trying to make a name for myself, my standards were a lot less than that. Right. Um, there was definitely a standard. I, I kind of, um, I kind of like the way that I look at it is like the people, like what we want to be working on in general is like one, it just has to be with incredibly cool people, it has to pay a ton. Or, I don't know, there's a third one that I've always thought about, but I'm completely blanking whenever I need to say it. But anyway, like, incredibly cool people uh, pay a ton. and But even with, like, the if somebody's, like, mean enough, like, we've been in situations where, like, things pay fantastic, but people are so mean that we're like, we we can't do this. It completely obliterates our entire um, soul, and everyone hates their life. So we've we've turned down or we've stopped projects that uh, for for the people we just don't want to work with. But the number one thing across the board for all of us is we want to work with great people, like great friends, people that we can kind of develop friendships with and be honest with and and be a creative partner with. Because if you're just kind of like sucking up to who you're working for, you're not like a real value in that. Um, I know I'm kind of going off the rails on the free project. Uh, it's it's a big debate. I mean, people talk about like should never do this, but. I, I think that's too hard line. There's there's a big wide gray area, 
And again, if this is like this is this is a field that robots are not doing right now, and we have to use our our intellect to <laughs> evaluate the problems, and and this is what like why we all can work is that we can see major value in something that might not pay anything, and then we can see major value in things that pay a ton, or we can see very little value on something that pays a ton overall. Um, but there's this holistic approach that you know a robot is not going to be able to figure out for you. So we need to acknowledge that we're humans, and we need to use our intellect to determine what the best play is and who are the the partners you want to be around. Uh, definitely, like whenever we, and on partners that we work a lot with that do a lot of advertising work, uh, or we just do a, a massive amount of actual paid work for uh, in general, that's kind of like more, it's like an easier thing because we know them, they're cool, we do plenty of work for them. It's like, oh yeah, we want to make you look awesome. And, you know, making the people that you work with look awesome is is a major value because then they look awesome. If you trust them as human beings and they're going to go out and they're going to hustle for work that eventually you're going to get. Right. Um, so it is an investment all the time. And so if, if we stopped investing in people completely, yeah, we might like do well for a little while. But if we just stop that, all of these new, cool, creative people who are reaching out with to us are just going to go into other places and develop other right, relationships. Right. So investing in people is incredibly important. Do you, is that one of your biggest fears? Is that robots will eventually <laughs> take over your sound designing? Uh, it's funny. I, I think that, I don't know, there's so many like tools out there to like auto mix things and do this and that. And it's just, I'm, I'm not at all. Uh, I'm not focused on robots <laughs> taking over our, uh, our, our jobs. <laughs> if I could build a robot to, to do some small tasks, that would be incredible. Okay. <clears throat> so I want to, I want to end this up, but I need your help and letting me know if it's not possible or not. But because we can talk all day about this stuff, uh-huh. but un- unless somebody kind of hears, I guess, what you're actually doing to things, it may not be as clear, right? Sure. So do you have the ability, and this is kind of like off the off the cuff, I guess, but like, do you have the ability to like show a, so- not soloed out, but like once you start building things uh through sound design, do you have something that we could play? Oh, sure, yeah, we could definitely put something together. Could could we do that on like right now? Yeah. Why don't I just do like a full rundown of like what we're thinking about? Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So number one, dialogue. Uh, everything revolves around how clean we can make dialogue. So we get it. We um, we're trying to get rid of room tone. Where a lot of people actually feel like we're you know the, that room tone is really valuable and and yeah it is if you're doing like big long movies that and you know, everything's recorded pristinely and all that stuff. But typically ninety nine percent of the time we're trying to remove it all together. So we have all kinds of good noise reduction tool tools and um, EQ and EQ matching and so everything kind of like is anchored upon how great the dialogue is. The next thing we'll do is we'll get all the music all cleaned up, make sure that everything is hitting where it's supposed to, or if there's any type of like hiccups in the music, we can we can chat with the editor on. But we level everything out to where it's consistent from beginning to end. Same thing with with dialogue. We make it sound pristine. We mix it. We do every po- every possible trick in the book to make sure every second or every different every scene or every location sounds consistent and and great and clean and hopefully with as little room tone or outdoor noise as possible. All we want on dialogue is just crystal clear dialogue, preferably. Um, then what we dive into, whenever we have these kind of two elements and we've kind of like mixed these two elements together, uh, typically we're going we're gonna to just get rid of, we're going to mute the music 
And then we're going to dive into specific levels of sound design. So one is Foley. That's anything that's touched, uh, which we consider high performance. Um, you know, anything that the actor or the subject touches with their hands and feet. So walking, picking things up, moving things. I mean, it's like even someone going to turn a doorknob can sound aggressive or very gentle. It's so it's a part of the actor or a part of the subject on camera. And so our job is to like any of these sounds, we want to super close mic it, make it sound like it's crystal clear and pristine uh, to really kind of like, it, it just enhances the character of the person that you're watching. So Foley, that's even cloth movement. Anything that's like just, that's just a performance from from the actor. Um, the next thing we think a lot about are hard effects. Uh, now that's just kind of like anything that we can find that was pre-recorded or from our own personal libraries. That can be like a door shut, a, you know, an explosion, gunshot. Uh, most things are kind of like land in this hard effects category. It's more instantaneous. It's like um, it's like elements that uh, you know are kind of like one to ten seconds ish. Uh, that we split out into two categories in and of itself. More practical type of effects, just react like what you see is what you get, and then we have emotional effects. These are things that kind of bridge the gap between. Well, at least what we consider. And this isn't a traditional view of sound design by any means. This is just the way that I see it. Uh, emotional effects or, uh, you know, that type of world is is things that feelings, like what a composer's trying to do in a way. Um, so we might have a slight little, like, bright shimmer of something if the sun, you know, pops its pops out. Or we might have a rumble uh, or something. It could be in a scary moment or a not scary moment. These are all effects that like don't tie directly to the screen, but these are effects that we use very subtly or not so subtly to uh, nudge the viewer in a in a direction. The, the the most extreme version of what like I would consider like emotional hard effects uh, would be like a, a mo- like a, a scary movie trailer. It's just like aggressive like emotional effects the whole way or really any movie trailer for that matter it's just emotional effects all over the place to like tell you like you know this is jolting this is not so jolting this is that Uh, the last thing that we think about or not necessarily in this order but the other aspect of sound design that we think a ton about is environmental sound design Uh, these are backgrounds ambiences these are the things that typically cover an entire scene Uh, it's the it's the elements that like tie everything together so it's like if you're on a single cam shoot um, you know, these are the things that like are gonna tie over all of the uh, the shots, and it's just and this is like if you're a cafe, like people wallow walla, and uh, maybe cars outside, you know, lightly behind a covered glass. If you're outside, just kind of like the natural ambience of the world and the people and the cars. Uh, or you know, if you're in the suburbs, maybe some light birds, light wind. If you're up on a mountain, very dead hot, you know, like just really clean hollow sound uh, wind so these are things that like you know even in our in our templates and stuff we have different levels of of what we're doing so typically it's like we're not doing all of those simultaneously like one person might just cover environmental effects while another one just or another couple people cover fully and another person just covers the emotional effects another person is covering more of the practical effects so then once we get to that point uh, then we have uh, all of the elements clean, uh, as beautiful as they can be. And the thing with sound design that I that I say a lot is just like sound design just sounds stupid until it's done. Uh, so you really, it's like it's one of the most miserable things to actually listen to somebody put together uh, like some sort of soundtrack. 
So anyway, so now we have all of these elements and then we have like a real palette to work with. And that's where the magic of like mixing comes in. You know, even right. like some music can be really low, so it can be really loud. Uh, sometimes sound effects can kind of take the rain. Sometimes one element of those sound effects can take the rain and, um, but I, that's like to the point where then we have everything to play with and then you can start to create. Once there was a boy who knew only fear and loneliness. The boy had heard stories of better days when Dunwall was a peaceful place. But to him, that's all they were. Stories. Adults could be cruel, but it was the other children who were truly wicked. Well, I feel like my head may explode. <laughs> but I applaud you for for how much thought goes into everything that you do. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate your applause. Yeah, which is just why, I mean, it, it reiterates my thought that just maybe don't even try to do it yourself. Just spend the entire. I would spend. I would literally spend more of my budget on not getting lenses and having sound design. And I, I like I hope the, that makes I, you feel good. <laughs> that does make me feel good. Um, you know, it is a tough thing, and I see this happen quite often. And I've even been in this circumstance where I'll see it, and you know, somebody on Twitter or something that we might think that we might be working on, or or something crazy. Um, it, it's kind of like without fail, we'll see. Uh, it's it's heartbreaking, but I'll see like production stills or photos or kind of just like Facebook or Twitter messages and stuff of like, you know, this camera that's being used, these lenses. It's like it's total like premium top, like top right, of the f- right. food chain type of stuff. Uh, and everyone's having this great experience with the best gear, like the most expensive locations, the most expensive like rental. And then I'm like mark my words, they're not going to have anything for what we do. And it's going to be this like tight budget thing always in the end. Right. Uh, but you know, when we do a, a documentary, it's like, yeah, we could do a documentary in three days, but it's going to just sound like a turd. And I did not get into doing sound design and all this stuff to do like turd level stuff. Right. Like I don't want to just like someone just like push it through the sausage maker. Like just give me what you can get in like the shortest, cheapest amount of time. Like right. I usually like turn all of that down because if the entire industry kind of goes down this path of like everyone, you know, is just doing sausage work or whatever, uh, I just don't want to be a part of that. I could do something and be very happy doing something else. But luckily there's a huge market for incredibly passionate people who are not arguing with me of like why we, like what we do takes three times longer than the place down the street. Right. Um, and they just don't care because they see like the level of care and quality. And so I don't bid on things and I don't, I don't talk about things as if we're doing the, the like, the like cheapest, most basic level things. And unfortunately we have to turn things down. Um, whenever, uh, Whenever, even in situ- circumstances where something may have like tons of cash has been spent up front, and it's like there's nothing in the end, I just I look at that as like ah, just I just don't think that this is an important part of the film, and it's like for us to work with people, it's like it has to be an important part uh, of, right, the, of right. the process. So there are you know there are, there are definitely like such circumstances that we I feel like it's just not in the best interest for us um, to be a part of, just based off of like the lack of thought that was that was done at the beginning or through yeah. production and things like that. Because post that, is incredibly important. Right. Because I, I think that that's even like a good point to say for directors or for cinematographers, like whatever your field is, like being able to decipher what type of project that you want to be a part of is really important. You know, like it's it's important yeah. to be able to decipher because eventually your name's gonna be on it, you know. 
and whether it's good or not, it's kind of it's kind of not up to you if you don't take that like all of the things into consideration, you know. Like, and it'll make everybody look great. I don't think anything. Right. I mean, I with any certain craft that kind of jumps to the top of any project, um, I just like projects that like everything is such a holistically beautiful approach. I think the brilliance in like writing and directing is taking all of these people who are like, like if you come to me, like I'm going to talk about like sound design like crazy. Like I'm not going to talk about cinematography because they're going to talk to a cinematographer who's like that's their life, right. and, you know, to make that sound incredible. And then they're going to talk to a composer that that's their life and they're going to talk to this and that and whatever. Um, the I think we start to get into these problems that aren't real stories whenever you have maybe someone who's only thinking of like, who who might have a big strength in one thing, but they're kind of only thinking about that one thing and everything else is the secondary process. Uh, So the real brilliance, I think the difference between like being a cinematographer and a director is really like now you have all the colors to play with and it's not one thing. It's taking all of these unbelievably brilliant channels of of uh, possibilities and then intertwining them to tell a story right. rather than being like, it's just this one killer sound design thing or this one killer track of music or like, this is the one thing that'll make or break. That's actually a red flag. Whenever we get any sort of comment that like this, like sound design is going to be the thing that makes or break this film. I can guarantee you this right. is a little secret for the very end of the good podcast. Uh, <laughs> 99.9% of the time that is a straight up. No, we're not going to work on it. Um, now if someone says sound design is very important to this, it's going to really influence the story. It's a blah, 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 blah. But if it's a, this is going to make or break everything, then I feel like that's something like, oh crap, they've made a bunch of mistakes up to this point. And now we're going to be like the, butt that like either doesn't like switch them over to feeling what they're thinking. Usually that's like a company's a terrible story or just bad, um, bad execution. Um, but anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, that's. You know, it's a, a, taking an, a holistic approach, like having an incredible cinematographer. Have, you know, it's a, I feel like what we do is like an extension of cinematography to begin with. Uh, you know, it's mm. like the, and I feel like we're like kind of like cinematography part two because we get to paint everything that's inside and what's outside of that picture. And right, I find right. it fascinating that we don't see, we're not ever on product, on, on set. We're not out there with anybody. And I find it fascinating that there's like 30 people just on the periphery of this, this frame and we're completely erasing them and almost like a visual effect artist and completely like replacing what all of that is. Like, so we're taking whatever this, this image is and we're blowing it up to full, you know, you know, encompassing someone uh, from sides behind up down, like we're defining like all of the rest of that picture. And so um, I love like that aspect of it and not even being aware of what's on the periphery because we can fully create that. Uh, and, and great sound or great cinematographers too. It's like, there's times where it's like, I can pick who's shooting based off of the style of like how, how we interact with their work. Uh, Like I can really tell like certain cinematographers who are kind of thinking of the holistic approach or editors, especially that's kind of like thinking about how this pace is also going to affect sound. Um, it's pretty interesting. It's like, it's one of those things that like, whenever it comes, it's like, whoa, okay, yeah, this is really like fitting like a glove. Uh, and so everyone having like a working knowledge of the entire process just naturally creates this, uh, this, this greater thing. Like a cinematographer and even the cinematographers that I've talked, like that I see their work and I'm like, God, everything I work on with this person is like, just fits so perfectly. Even whenever I'll bump into them at a, you know, cocktail party or something, I, they have no idea they're doing it. I'm like, God, but like this, this scene here, it's like everything was fit so well. And they're like, God, it's just just kind of something that's built in, I guess. But I think that like, I don't know what it is. And I'm just talking out of my butt here, but like, (laughs) 
I, I, there is, there's got to be some sort of thing where it's like a cinematographer who's really like gets into that picture and is like, that's encompassing their entire world and have the real ability to unfocus everything, including what's outside, uh, really well. Uh, and that's, and it's great. Cause then it's just like, we come along, we do our thing and it's just like, we can paint all of that. Uh, right. Alongside them. God, I wish that there were times that we spent, I wish we could spend more time with cinematographers, like in a mix. Um, because it, it'd just be fun to kind of like talk about like what they're focused on, what we're focused on, how we enhance what they're focused on. Cause that's another thing is we can kind of like through a mix, we can determine like what's, what's popping focus. You know, it's like, do we want to be dissonant against what's being in focus or do we want to be like harmonious with that? So if there's something like a, you know, in the focus of, of clearly that's where your eye needs to be. Like we can naturally focus on that by mixing that in a way where that's clear. But there could be a little bird off into the top left corner that we uh, we do a little flutter that you don't hear the first time you watch it, but maybe the second time or the third time or the tenth time. Right. Uh, so just kind of like painting the entire screen to where every experience, it's like if you just happen to watch it five times and you're looking in a different area, it's like, whoa, there's like a whole other little thing over here. And uh, and it's fully filled with sound and, and all that. That's the stuff I just really, really geek on. Right. Okay, give me like the uh, kind of like wrapping this up, but like give me the your go-to sound design film like that if i needed to to uh if i needed to study up on like sound design or i needed to study a certain um film that might yeah. encompass what what you're going after what would that film be from a natural sense uh something like no country for old men or castaway because uh, I might be wrong, but I don't think there's any music at all. Uh, or at least oh, there's very one piece sparse. of music at the very end of Castaway. Yeah, but that's and it. and it, or like you know, Lost, like the television show. It's like Castaway. That is like all all recreated, but your brain doesn't at all comprehend it. But every single sound you're hearing in that is like you know, close mic of every single little possible nuance mm-hmm. you could you could. Um, create there so that's brilliant in just the natural sense because really it's like natural sounds it's i know that it's it can be kind of boring because we're in it all the time but like what's more beautiful than like the sound of earth and like the sound of what's you know creation it's like i I feel like there's nothing that that's more beautiful than like the sound of like what our environment is in uh, or, or the environment that we're in rather so, um, so Castaway's incredible, uh, No Country for Old Men. There's, there's some more experimental uh, sound design things where it's like there's a sound design for one thing that has nothing to do with the screen. And so like Gus Van Zant does a lot of odd sound design choices that are just like do not at all hmm. um, kind of correspond. Um, the one that's about uh, Kurt Cobain has has this really interesting scene where it's just like you just hear like high heels like he's outside like in the woods and but you hear like high heels going from like right to left or, or something what? it's like really like oddball choices um and then really it's like for just high end ultra uh like hyper uh like hyper juiced sound which is you know hyper aware sound which is something we're always thinking about like just putting a microphone in an environment and expecting that to sound good typically is not going to like do the trick so we're always trying to like make everything like hyper sensitive and hyper aware and, and and all that so that's pretty much like any blockbuster movie those are all amazing technical and creative achievements every single one of them in their own right uh, the the amount of workforce that goes into creating that from a sound level is just incredible and these people working on it are just absolutely flawless and brilliant uh, all the time so pretty much like anything 
action movie, Pixar, um, things like that. But then, you know, from a natural sense, something like those two, those other two movies. Hmm. Well, Dallas, thank you for coming on the show. How was this inter- How was this interview for you? It was fun. I like I like kind of going off on these tangents about stuff. So it was great. It was great. Yeah, it was great. I love chatting with you. <sighs> you missed it, man. I need you to say that this interview was good. This interview was good. Period. TM. <laughs> this episode was mixed by Christian Stropko or as we like to refer to him, Christian number two. As always, our music today was created by Cubby. That's Cubby with two Bs. You can check out more of his stuff on CubbySounds.com. Our show is produced by Will Meyer, and our good podcast logo was designed by Eric Hurchin. Also, you can find all of our show notes and other fun stuff at GoodThePodcast.com. Mm-hmm.